Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to The Der Show. Um, my new book, uh, War Against the Jews, is now officially been been published and and remarkably it rose to number 12 on the Amazon nonfiction bestseller list after I was on the Mark Levin show they really do um, manage to sell books on that show I had a great interview with Mark Levin he asked uh, terrific questions and I hope I answered them well in any event the book shot very much to the top it was number one among, um, what did they say, hot new books, um, and was within the top 100 of um, all the books sold in the whole country. And you think about that 90% of the books being sold now are Christmas books and uh, cookbooks and children's books uh, being able to hit number <laughs> number 12 among nonfiction and 100 in, in, in all bestsellers. It's pretty good. It shows that people are interested in in um, what's going on in the Middle East, and people don't buy my book generally if they're on Hamas's side. So I think it's a plebiscite on support for Israel, and so it's available out there if you want to read it and want to send me some questions about it. I'm sure I'll be talking about the subject um, um, uh, in 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 weeks to come. And let me turn to a related aspect of the subject. We've all seen these demonstrations uh, with signs and screaming and chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, clean, clean the Middle East of Jews, by which they mean, I guess, they're calling them dirty Jews or something uh, like, like that. Um, we've seen them all, and we've seen massive demonstrations uh, on college campuses, ranging, you know, from Harvard to New York City College to colleges all around the country. Well, I did a little bit of a study, and to try to figure out who these people are that are demonstrating. Um, I don't know people who are demonstrating. Uh, remember, they're not pro-Palestine demonstrations. You don't sing a single sign ever uh, calling for a Palestinian state or a two-state solution. They're all anti-Israel, pro-Hamas um, demonstrations, and usually they're tinged with um, uh, anti-American um, uh, signs as well. And of course, more recently, there have been calls for a ceasefire, but let's remember that these demonstrations began before there was any fire to cease. Um, the demonstrations began on, on January 8th, uh, sorry, October 8th, uh, the day after the horrible barbarism of Hamas. In fact, some of the uh, strongest language was used against Israel on October 7th. Norman Finkelstein said it warmed every part of his heart to see uh, the arrogant Israelis being, being, um, being killed. Um, you know, this is when Israelis were still being, bodies were gathered from victims of rape, of murders and beheadings. Norman Finkelstein is talking about how it warms his heart, shows you what kind of a heart that man has, if he has, if he has any at all. Uh, if he has a heart, it's only for terrorists and obviously not for their innocent 
uh, uh, victims. Um, but since Israel responded militarily to the um, barbarism and, 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 and since Hamas said they would do it over and over and over again, so Israel had to go in and try to destroy their infrastructure and their ability to do it over and over again, we've seen many, many more demonstrations with many more signs calling for uh, a ceasefire. But I've tried to deconstruct who these people are who are organizing and paying for these demonstrations. And I've done a little research on it, and I've come to some conclusions that I want to share with you. So there are basically four groups that organize and get involved in these uh, demonstrations. Uh, the first group, of course, are radical um, Islamic um, supporters of Hamas, who are uh, obviously uh, very anti-Israel. Um, many of them are supported by uh, Iran, uh, either directly or indirectly, or by Qatar, um, either directly or indirectly. These protests have been well-funded uh, externally. The people marching aren't funding them. And um, they have been um, very well organized, um, you know, with uh, transportation and the signs, uh, which seem to be the same in, in many demonstrations. So obviously representing a single organizational structure. So the first group are the radical, are the radical Muslims who think of Israel as the uh, small Satan and the United States is the big Satan. Um, so that's group number one. Group number two is the most troubling and, and in some ways the most interesting. These are people we used to call communists. Um, they were people who were associated with the Soviet Union. Um, they were members of the Communist Party. Um, they were often paid by uh, the Communist Party. It's, it's no longer politically correct to call yourself communist, but these same people now call themselves democratic socialists or workers' parties, and there are a dozen euphemisms, but they're the old communists. And they have one goal, one simple goal. It's been from the beginning of time, from the 1917, the Communist Party of the United States and their successors, the National Lawyers Guild, have had one goal, and that is the overthrow of the United States government by whatever means are necessary. Um, these were people who were prosecuted under the Smith Act, unconstitutionally, I believe, because it is constitutional under the First Amendment to advocate the overthrow of the government. It's not constitutionally protected to incite the overthrow of the government or to take um, actions uh, that lead to the overthrow of the government, but advocacy is constitutionally protected, which is why I was opposed to the Smith Act even back in the 1950s when I was in, in college. Um, so that's the second group. The second group are professionals. I mean, they are there all the time. Uh, they're at any, any demonstration. They're at Black Lives Matter demonstrations. They're at uh, closed down Wall Street uh, demonstrations. You have a demonstration and these former communists now workers, socialists, party, national lawyers guild, they're always going to be there. Uh, they'll attach themselves to any group. Um, they don't care about the issues. Uh, back in the 1930s, they attached themselves to the uh, anti-segregationist movement. They didn't care about segregation. They saw a cause. And so the Communist Party got deeply involved in the civil rights movement, they didn't believe in civil rights. Uh, they didn't believe in civil liberties. And um, 
they wanted violence and they wanted to join any any group that advocates overthrow of the government. So that's the second group. They immediately hooked on. They used to be, by the way, that group, the same group, the communists, the socialists, the workers' parties, they used to be very pro-Israel when the Soviet Union was pro-Israel. Um, they supported the establishment of Israel. They supported Israel uh, early on in its years. But when the Soviet Union switched and became anti-Israel, on a dime, these communist, socialist, workers' party, they switched and suddenly became anti-Israel, um, not because of anything that Israel did differently. Israel was still a democratic socialist country. Uh, no longer now, it's a free market uh, economy, but it was a socialist country uh, back in the, in the day. But when the Soviet Union said, no, no, we're going to switch, we now support fascists, um, Arab dictators, um, Muslim fundamentalists who want to kill gays. We don't care. We're going to support. The Soviet Union said to support the Arabs. We're going to support the Arabs. doesn't matter whether these Arab countries stand for philosophy that's totally different from our own. That doesn't matter. We just follow the Soviet Union. And that's what's been going on now. So this second group really are followers of the former Soviet Union. And now many of them follow Putin and follow Russia. Many of them have been on Russia's side uh, in the Ukraine war. But in any event, they again are their primary motivation is to overthrow the United States government. And um, they're anti-American more than they're anti-Israel, but they're very anti-Israel because Russia, former Soviet Union, said turn against Israel. So lemmings that they are, they did. The third group are traditional, classic, old-fashioned anti-Semites, the kind of people that were marching in, um, in, in uh, Charlottesville. Uh, Jews will not replace us. Those were people on the right. Uh, you know, the right and the left have in common, the extreme right and the extreme left have in common, they hate the Jews. Um, they have a lot more in common, too. They hate democracy. They hate free speech. Free speech for me, but not for thee. Uh, they hate America. Uh, and um, they hate civility and, and liberty. So it's not surprising that there still are in the United States groups of people that hate the Jews. Some of them try to hide under a flag of patriotism, but that's nonsense. Remember, it was George Washington, the founder of our country, who was the first national leader in the history of the world ever to give Jews equal rights. He wrote a famous letter to the Jews of Newport, uh, Rhode Island, the Truro Synagogue, in which he said, to bigotry, we give no sanction. Uh, and that Jews will be full citizens. Each will be able to live under their fig tree. I'm paraphrasing, but pretty, pretty close. Um, and to none will we hold second-class citizen. In fact, even went so far as to say, we no longer speak of tolerance because tolerance sounds like one group allows another group, tolerates another group. We no longer talk about tolerance. We talk about equality and freedom. That was George Washington. Uh, in, in the first or second year of his presidency, I own and I have on the, on the wall of my house in New York, I have the first newspaper clipping from the official United States Government Gazette of George Washington's letter to the, to the Jews of Newport. That's how 
important it is and was, but these people who claim to be patriots are defying uh, the, the memory and the wishes of, of George Washington. But that's the third group. You're never going to change them. Uh, every country in the world has them. In the Soviet Union, you had them. In the current Russia, you have them. My son, Elon, and I went to Leningrad when the Soviet Union just broke down um, and Russia was uh, emerging because a group called Pamyat, which was in those days a right-wing anti-Semitic group, was planning to invade and, and, and attack the synagogue in Leningrad. So we went there, and it was in May, <laughs> and we said we would stay there as long as the Sabbath lasted. We didn't realize that in Russia in May, the sun never goes down. So the Sabbath lasted until about 11 o'clock at night. And my son, Elon, never forgave me for making him sit in the synagogue from nine in the morning to 11 at night. But he got revenge. He took me to a rock concert after the synagogue closed. And I still have problems hearing um, as, as a result of that. So thank you, Elon, uh, for that. Uh, and, and don't try to answer me because I'm not going to hear um, no, no, I'm, I, I do appreciate your sitting in the synagogue. But that's the third group, uh, the, the classic, traditional, old-fashioned anti-Semites. You're never going to change them. The fourth group is the group that made these demonstrations much larger and that many of them joined the demonstration when the demonstrators put up signs calling for a ceasefire. After all, a ceasefire? Why not have a ceasefire? That saves lives. No, it doesn't. It takes lives. It costs lives because if you have a ceasefire, Hamas wins and, and it will do it again and again and again and again. But, you know, these these people, um, when they see ceasefire and they see that it's an event sponsored by the left uh, against the right, they're going to join it no matter what. So the fourth group, uh, let's be nice to them and just call them useful idiots, which is what they are. They are undereducated under and over-propagandized uh, college and university students, mostly. Some have graduated, but they tend to be between 18 and 24. In fact, a recent poll showed that Americans between 18 and 24, a majority, 54%, I think it was, said they would be happy to see the end of Israel and Hamas take over Israel. Hey, if Hamas takes over Israel, it's coming to a theater near you. They're taking over your university next. They're taking over your church. They're taking over your library. They're taking over your company because we are the big devil. Israel is the small devil. But these useful idiots, they have no idea. These same groups that were protesting, they were in the demonstrations from the river to the sea. And so some researchers went over to them and said, what river? We don't know. What sea? We don't know. Can you point on a map to... The river and the sea? No, no. Uh, 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 can you point to Palestine? Palisades? No, 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 Palestine, not the Palisades. Palestine. No, no, but we know that Palestine is against Israel, so we're marching. We're, we're, we're going to march, and we're going to have slogans, and, and we're going to join with these former communists and uh, anti-Semites and Islamic, because... If it's left, it must be right. That's the, the, the fourth group, the, the useful idiot group. They're our future leaders. The useful idiots go to Harvard. They go to Princeton. They go to Yale. They go to your local university, your state university. They go to Stanford. They go to MIT. They go to Penn. They're useful idiots. They all get A's because everybody gets A's today. Uh, if you don't get an A, my God, if you get a B, 
who would ever hire you? Everybody gets A's. Um, um, I think it was 90% of students graded at Harvard and Yale got A's, not in science, not in STEM, science, technology, uh, engineering, and math. There you get B's and C's because those are real subjects. But political science, of course you get all A's because every idea is created equal. There's no such thing as a bad idea anymore in college and law school, except if it comes from the right. But if it's a left-wing idea, if it's a woke idea, no matter how stupid it is and how stupidly you articulate it or write it, you get an A, maybe an A minus, maybe an A minus. That's like flunking if you get an A minus these days. When I went to law school, there was a curve. For every A, there was an F. For every B, there was a D. And C was the median grade. Most students graduated with a C average, and that was fine. You can get a job with a C plus average if you were a little better than the average C. If you had a B average, my God, you were the top of your class. I had a 3.7 average when I graduated Yale Law School. That put me first in the class. First in the class with a 3.7. Today, the median average at Harvard is a little over 3.7. So I'd be at the bottom of my class with the same grades that put me first in my class at, at Harvard and, and top of my class at, at Brooklyn College Today, with my grades, which were, you know, mostly A's, um, I'd be in the middle. I'd be in the middle or the lower half of the class, like I was in high school, where I deserved it. In high school, I had, a, I think, a 76 average or something like that. I was 39th out of a class of 47, which meant that there were eight people dumber than me, but 36 people smarter than me. Um, that's because I went to Yeshiva where I had to toe the line and tell the rabbis what they thought, and I didn't agree with them. So I got I got terrible grades. I always got good grades on the objective exams, the regents, um, but um, uh, when the teachers graded me, C's and C pluses, one teacher, when I got 100, on one of the regents, teacher called me in and said, uh, Mr. Lilka, his name was, he said, don't let it go to your head, that 100. You're, you've always been a 75 student, you're a 75 student and you'll always be a 75 student. That's kind of like a C plus uh, student. And I was all through uh, high school until I got to college and, and law school. So um, the useful idiots are the, are the fourth group. And, you know, they'll demonstrate for anything that's anti-American, anti-colonial, anti-capitalist, anti-woke, anti-left, anti-anything that puts them on the progressive woke side, uh, without thinking about it, they will they will uh, protest. Uh, a friend of mine said, you know, there ought to be, before you get to go on a protest line, there ought to be a test asking you to identify the country, where it is, what the river is, what the sea is. The protest would be a lot, a lot smaller. Well, what implications should we draw from the fact that um, these are the four groups that organize, three of the groups, organize, pay for, and run the protests. Again, starting on October 8th, uh, before there was a shot fired uh, against uh, Hamas in Gaza. Uh, what are we to draw from that? So it was the October 8th protest that organized everything. The payments were made, all that. And then they expanded after Israel went in and the signs went up, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. They would never be satisfied with a ceasefire. When Israel did have a pause and didn't fire a shot, the protest got worse. 
because that's not what they're interested in the ceasefire. They're interested in, as this poll shows, the end of Israel and ultimately the end of the United States if they could, if they could achieve it. So the, the ultimate goal um, of these protests is not a two-state solution. It's not a state for Palestine. It's not the end of the occupation. Uh, it's none of those. It's not the ceasefire. It's the end of Israel, the end of the United States, the end of what they call colonialism. How many of them know that the greatest colonialists uh, in the world were the Muslims, uh, starting out as a relatively small sect in Saudi Arabia by conquest, by, by the sword. They colonialized, uh, colonized um, everything they can get their hands on, including what is now Israel, became a colony. Uh, colonials, they colonized it all, and they went all the way up to Spain and uh, Sicily and other places like that. So if you talk about colonists, let's start with the Muslims, then I guess we get to the Britain, to Britain, then we get to France, and then we get to Portugal, we get to Holland. We never ever get to Israel. Why? Israel bears no relations to colonialism. Israel was formed by individual Jews who wanted to return to their ancestral homeland that Jews have been living in since you know, thousands of years before the birth of Jesus or before the birth of Muhammad, the oldest religion and culture in the area. And they were chased out of their land. Many stayed behind. There's always been a Jewish presence in what the Romans called Palestine, Palestina. That's uh, a fake name. It had nothing to do with anything. It wasn't even a, an area that was well-defined. Well it was southern Syria, essentially. And then, you know, Britain came in and carved out countries, created, created out of whole cloth. Jordan, called it Transjordan, then Jordan. Uh, the French created with a cartographer's pen and map, uh, a Sweden, Switzerland, and, and, and Iraq, and, and, and Persia, which of course was a great old uh, a country, but didn't have defined, uh, defined borders until the colonialists created the borders of the Middle East. The one place they really had very little impact at all was Israel. Israel was established by Jews escaping from Russia. What were they there to colonize on behalf of Russia? Of course not. Were they there to colonize on behalf of Ukraine? They hated Russia. They hated the Ukraine. Uh, they were there to have self-determination. So the least colonial state is Israel. But you have these kids marching. Well, we hate colonialism. Yeah. So object to uh, uh, object to New Zealand. I mean, that's you talk about colonialism in a settler country. New Zealand. That's it. You know, white people from the United from from England. Uh, who had never set foot anywhere in the South Pacific, suddenly went in, killed the Maoris, kicked them out, and colonized New Zealand and turned it into a beautiful, peaceful, peace-loving country. But it's a, it's a colonial settler state, as is Australia. If you go back far enough, as is all of um, North America. In, in 1491, there weren't that many Europeans uh, in North America or South America. We colonized it. And so uh, these, these ignoramuses, these useful idiots that fill out the demonstrations are our future leaders. And uh, we're in trouble. And we're in trouble. Uh, and, and, and 
the lack of education, the A pluses for everything, for showing up, the lack of education is going to turn us away from our leadership role. We were once among the most educated countries in the world. Today, we're very low on the on the list in terms of even basic skills, reading and mathematics. And it's going to get much, much, much worse as woke, progressive, intersectionality, DEI take over education. And it's getting worse. It's not getting any better. All right. Let's take some letters. Okay. I do not think SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, will ban the abortion pill. I think they will stay consistent with the message that the federal government has no role in controlling abortion, and it must be done at the state level. This problem is a conflict because the federal government does have authority over federal drug administration, and this is a, a drug. So it remains to be seen what the Supreme Court will do. Uh, these pills don't seem as safe as they make us believe. Well, all pills have potential side effects, but so does pregnancy. And I would leave it as much as possible up to the doctors and the medical establishment to make these decisions rather than politicians. Professor, Harvard has over $50 billion in their endowment. Rich, modern leftist liberals will continue to pay for their kids to go to Harvard and ignore the anti-Semitic free speech stance of the school. Since cutting off donations to Harvard will not force them to change the course, what plan of action would make them abandon their woke philosophy? Well, first of all, I want every kid who could get into Harvard uh, or Yale or Princeton or whatever school you want to go to, uh, to go to the best school you can go to. Not only, not necessarily the best ranking school, but the school that most fits your profile of what you want to study. Don't be afraid of the woke progressives. Fight back. Win in the court of public opinion. Yeah, you may suffer a bad grade, an A minus, or a God forbid, a B plus. I don't know if you can come home for Thanksgiving with a B plus on your record. But, you know, show some some grit, fight back, and I think you'll be rewarded for it. So I tell kids if they have a fighting spirit, go to schools that have not done anything to prevent bigotry and make them stop and change them. I hope they will. Professor, how did you come to the conclusion that Hunter Biden won the court of public opinion? Do you actually think for a second he would have pulled the stunt if he had not been assured that the Garland... Department of Justice would not prosecute him like they did several Republicans who did the same thing. If Garland does not prosecute him, will the non-equal application of the law be an issue for me? It would be. Yeah, I think that he probably should be prosecuted for failing to comply with a subpoena just the way uh, Steve Bannon and, and others were. And I think he should raise a defense saying I was prepared to testify uh, in public, but I was not prepared to testify in secret. And the First Amendment uh, certainly encourages public testimony. We'll see where the, what the courts say. But I think if they have prosecuted uh, Republicans, they have to prosecute a Democrat. I agree with you. Professor, Don, did Donald Trump as president of the United States have the legal authority to make the statements he did on the about the 2020 election while he was in office? If he did, then does not render Jack Smith's prosecution illegitimate. Yes, I think it does. Of course he had the right to say what he wanted to say. If he honestly believed, and I've seen no evidence to suggest that he didn't, it was wrong, but if he honestly believed that they had failed to enforce the law um, of elections and that the election had been stolen from those people who voted for him, 
he had the right to express those views. And I think perhaps the Supreme Court will eventually hold that, but not before there will be some convictions. And, and those convictions may affect the election. And then the interesting thing is, I think some of them will be reversed on appeal. And will that constitute election interference? Not technically, but the Department of Justice has rules. And the rules say you should not prosecute at a time or when if the influence could be on the election. They broke that rule, of course, uh, when the head of the FBI, the person acting essentially as attorney general, um, went after Hillary Clinton and said, look, what she did was terrible, but not criminal. That should not have happened on the eve of the election. It did. And it was a mistake. And we shouldn't have more mistakes. We should make sure that um, we can have an election free of the thumb. In this case, it's the elbow of the criminal justice system on the scale of justice. So I'm hoping that we can get back to a time where we ever there. I don't know. But we were closer when the criminal justice system was regarded as non-political, outside of the realm of politics. We've had special prosecutors like Archibald Cox and, and uh, like Bob Fisk that everybody, everybody trusted. Um, could you have a special prosecutor today that everybody would trust? I think you could. I've actually named a couple, Michael McKenzie, the former attorney general, Louis Free, the former head of the FBI. I think it would be very interesting to see one of them appointed a special counsel to investigate uh, the relationship between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. We know that Hunter Biden got money he didn't deserve in order to try to have an influence on Joe Biden. Did it have an influence? That's what we don't know. And that's what a special prosecutor could look into in a way that would be credible. If the Republicans look into it, the Democrats look into it. Nobody's going to believe them because they know that they have a predetermined answer based on partisan considerations. We'll continue these and other discussions tomorrow. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.